G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. And as we delve into this week's topic, a reminder that some of the content may be of a sensitive nature. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome once again to this week's Momentum. Uh, Tim and Dez back with you and wherever you are around Australia. Hey, really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us uh, this week. MomentumAustralia.org is our website. And uh, don't do this right now, but after this week's show, maybe go back and have a listen to uh, the chat from last week and it'll put this week's show into context for you because we're going to get the same guy back on. But Des, it is great to have you here, man. How are you to, uh, this week? Are you good? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. You know, just one of the things I want to mention is the fact that we have a new support line for men uh, and it's a Momentum Care Line and it's one 800 0 men which is one 800 0 636. The service is provided by our friends at Caroline Connections. And if you want to contact them, they're at carolineconnections.org.au. So you can reach out and get help seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. 1-800-000-N. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Dave. Hey, you know, our guest this week is uh, Bobby Aitken. And Bobby is a continuous improvement specialist. He's also a certified John Maxwell coach, teacher, speaker. He is passionate about developing capability in people through training, coaching, mentoring to benefit them and the organizations that they work with. He also has a huge heart and desire for unity amongst the church at large. And, you know, last week we heard the story of Bobby's upbringing, which uh, was uh, obviously back in Scotland. You hear his accent. But, uh, you know, this was uh, a slow progression into marijuana and then some harder drugs. And we're going to pick up the story, Bobby. Uh, around 1994, at this stage, I think you'd started taking speed and you were starting to accelerate into harder drugs. But we're going to pick the story up here before we get into the transformation piece of you're at a party at a friend's house and there was a drug raid and things started to go south for you from there. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Okay, so first of all, the party happened. The party went by, as effectively as we were concerned, uneventful. We all partied hard. We had a long weekend of taking drugs. As I mentioned, it was the first time I tried speed. Um, however, in the days following the party, the guy who hosted the party, his dad found traces of drugs left in the house, and he called the police. So what was interesting was they decided or the guy who hosted the party decided that he was going to pick me as the patsy to blame for all the drugs. Oh, when, which is, a, which is a complete turn of a, and a 180 on the truth of what actually happened. But yeah. I ended up with the drug squad who came and raided my house, went into my bedroom, went through, took photographs, turned the place upside down, all of this kind of stuff. And yeah, looking for evidence that I was the drug dealer that I'd been painted to be, which ironically at this point in time, um, and this is this is where when you when you stand 
where, from where you are looking back in the past, you mm. begin to see that God's hand was on my life, even in those circumstances. Yeah. Because in the lead up to this, I had been dealing dope, right? I'd been selling dope to friends and all this mm. kind of stuff. I'd never, I'd never sold or dealt in anything harder than dope mm. at this point. I, I had very little experience of drugs harder than dope at this point. And what, what actually happened was the police raided my bedroom at a period in time where I was not involved in dealing at all. Mm. And so there was no evidence for them to find. I mm. hadn't, I, there was, I didn't even have any dope lying around in my bedroom at this point in time. Wow. So they came up completely empty handed. Um, of course, my parents didn't really care that they came up empty handed because <laughs> I came home. I, I'd actually been out. Um, and that very night I'd been out and I'd been confronted by one of the people who had been dealing drugs in and around that party because the word had got out that apparently I had gone to the police. Oh, oh. there was a whole load of stories going out. So it wasn't just that the police came to my house. There was a whole load of lies that were spread about uh. me apparently going to the police and telling the police everything. Uh. Um, so, which was again, a bunch of lies that were spread to counteract the truth of the fact that there was one person who was involved in the dealing and had gone to the police and all these kind of things and was trying to make sure nobody looked at him. Um, so yeah, I, I was pinned against the wall by a few different people over the next few days. Fortunately, all of them looked into my eyes as they did it. And they all realized that that was a lies because they could see in my face that they, it just wasn't true, which, which had this really interesting spin and in that these people now trusted me. An interesting side effect. So I now I I now have the trust and I now have a connection with people, some of whom I never really had a connection with. Yeah. And ironically, as the police were raiding my house, I was round at another house, friend's house getting stoned. So uh. <laughs> I, I got home in quite a stoned state to find the bedroom had been turned upside down. I explode in fury because I'm like, who the hell's been in my bedroom? What the hell have you done? Walked through to confront my folks and Kind of, I I thought my brother had done it, and so I'm going looking for my brother to make sure that he's accountable. And my mum says, "You better stop right where you are," and explained that it was the drug squad that had turned my bedroom upside down. Wow! So tell me about that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mum. <laughs> Let's just say that um, uh, you go from being angry to being kind of shocked and terrified of what comes next because yes. it's a, it's a new experience. It's something that was completely unexpected. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't something that I was thinking. This is what's going to happen. All that kind of stuff. But you never expect it to be you. Mm, did you did you blurt out like did you confess to your mum then at that stage like obviously they'd suspected for a long time but did you actually make a confession to her at that stage about what had been happening? Look, so I told my mum that yes, I'd been at the party and that yes, I'd taken drugs, but I absolutely told her that I had not dealt them and I'd never had. And, and this was completely honest at this point in time. I'd never had those drugs before that party. Hmm. Wow. Um, as it turned out, because the police found no evidence, they never actually interviewed me personally. Oh, right. So they went through the house. They basically left a list of questions, which I was to answer. My dad took the answers to those questions to the police, and I never actually had to go to the police station myself at all, um, which was which was a bit of a turnaround, which, in the, I mean, I, I don't know why they chose that. I, I presume that they found zero evidence and may, must have assumed that this wasn't the truth or whatever else. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, either way, I never actually ended up in the police station at that point in time. It's interesting, you know, you, you've gone through from dope into, you know, speed, um, and then you obviously tried stronger drugs. But one of the comments you made before we went to air was uh, that you thank God that you had a fear of needles. And that's, and that's amazing, actually. Yeah, I am a clean skin. I have no tattoos. I have no piercings. And at no point was I tempted to stick a needle in my vein. Yeah. Mm. Because that, mm. that, I mean, I guess heroin is a prime example of one that you would use. Yeah, look, and I mean, I've, I've heard of and um, know of the, the cocaine, speed. People have tried to inject all of these different oh, things really? in different okay. ways. And so, yeah, look, I, I genuinely thank God that that was not not something that was ever a temptation for me because I've I've heard horror stories. In fact, the... The youth pastor that led me to Christ was a former heroin addict. Wow. And so I I have got experience of talking to people who've become addicted to that and and know and I've read the research about how much more addictive some of these things really are. Mm. And I wonder, I mean, we, we talk about the fact that, um, and I, I just mentioned that you look back and see God having his hand on your life. But I wonder if, if I'd ever taken that step into that space, would I have ever got, made it out? Bobby, let's go back to the road for a moment. I mean, surely that that must have been a wake up call for you. Uh, w- were you nervous? Did you suddenly then decide that you needed to get out of the whole drug scene completely? I mean, obviously not, because four years later, things did break down further. But tell us about how that affected you, and um, and and the relationship with your family. Look, I think if I'm perfectly honest, it was more of a speed bump than it was a major problem, right? Because okay. I didn't get caught. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I kind of laughed it off. And as I said, it actually connected me to people I'd never been connected to before, yeah. who then began to trust me, connections, everything else. So um, like a lot of things in my life, I turned something that was potentially a problem into an opportunity <laughs> and used my new connections to start actually accessing and doing the very thing that I've been accused of that I wasn't guilty of at the time. Right. Wow. Um, my, obviously, my relationship with my family, it was now quite well known that I was connected to drugs. And whilst there was no direct dialogue taking place on a daily basis about my drug use, it was, it was now kind of out of the bottle. You know what I mean? The, it was, mm. it was, they knew. And whilst I could, I could from time to time lie about whether or not I was actually taking drugs at that point in time, it was now something that was known about me. Bobby, you say by about 1998, Christmas time, your relationship with your family broke down. You were staying on a mattress on a, uh, a mate's floor in a council house. Um, and that Christmas, you, you didn't, well, your family basically said to you, I think it was your brother, basically said to you, stay away from the family this Christmas. Um, tell us a bit about that, how that made you feel. You, I think you went home and got high instead of doing that, I suppose, to numb the pain. But tell us a bit about what was your drug use in at that time? And then we're going to get into the transformation piece. But tell us a bit about that Christmas. Yeah, look, so at that point, I had, again, uh, the the friends I had, I had great friends that would support. And so I my family relationship broke down. And within 30 minutes of me leaving the house, I had somebody offer to let me stay with them. Mm. 
Mm. Wow. Again, you talk about, there's all these different dimensions to it, right? So I, I was in there. I, um, I had a spare room in this um, council house, which was basically a mattress on the floor, as I say. That Christmas coming up, by that Christmas, Christmas time was always major party season. So the, we were taking drugs almost every night. Um, either that or we going out and getting drunk. If we weren't doing that, we were sitting at home getting really stoned. Okay. Um, the house that we were living in, me and the guy we were living with, we basically had parties. So when the pubs shut almost every night, people were coming back to our place and we party till three, whatever else. Um, I was working in a job. I was just working as a delivery driver at the time. And it, it wasn't going anywhere. My relationship with my family had broken down to the point where I wasn't speaking to any of them, which in a small town that I grew up in is actually quite, quite a feat of avoidance. Yes. Mm. It's not just that you don't speak to them. It actually takes some effort to make sure that you aren't in the same space that they could potentially be in, yes. especially yes. as my, my mom at that point in time ran a business right in the heart of the town. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting place, but yeah, that Christmas, the only contact I had with my family was my brother turning up my doorstep, dropping off some presents and saying the best thing you can do for all of us is just not come back. A few days later, there's a huge turning point in your life and we're going to take a short break <laughs> and tease the fact that we're going to get into that on the other side of this break. This is where the transformation comes and this is the real turnaround in the story. Encourage you to stay tuned for that on the other side of this break. We're speaking with Bobby Aitken on this week's Momentum Transformation Stories on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. This is Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Thanks for hanging around. Thanks for tuning back in. It is Momentum with Tim and Des, and our special guest is Bobby Aitken. And uh, we're at Christmas 1998 in Bobby's story. He's uh, basically been told by his family that he's not welcome. And so, of course, he spends the rest of the day getting high, which was typical at that stage to numb the pain. But, uh, Bobby, a couple of days later, you had an absolutely life-changing conversation with your uncle, which changed the trajectory of your life. So let's start there and tell us a bit about this meeting that you had with your uncle back then. Yeah, look, so going back, I just kind of frame it so people understand why why the impact of this event. Growing up, my uncle left Scotland back when he finished university, went and traveled the world. He was one of those that was in Europe when the offer went out for the £10 palm type thing. He, he decided he had actually had, the story goes, he had enough money to get back to the UK or to get to Australia. And he decided to go to Australia. Mm-hmm. And that was where he settled and met his wife, grew his family. Obviously, in that day and age, when I was younger, there wasn't Skype, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't any of these technologies that make it so easy for us to communicate over long distance these days. So he was... Um, growing up, he was always this person we knew of, yeah. but didn't know, if yes. that makes sense. Yes, it does. At one point, he came over, I must have been about 
10 or 12 or somewhere like that. Um, he'd come over and visited and I got to meet him. But again, he was someone I knew of, but didn't really know. Well, as it turned out in 1998, he had come to visit once again and brought his family and things like that. And so he, he was, um, he was at the time he was a QC in Perth. Um, Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He died last year, but um, at the time he was a QC, but he was also a pastor of a local church, a house church in the hills of Perth. And he came over and he said to me, what about coming and spending some time in Australia? Even though I wasn't a Christian at this point, I just had something in me knew this was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Were you still doing drugs at this stage, Bobby? Oh, yes. They didn't stop. So, June, thereabouts, um, 1999, I think it was, you, you're in Australia. You first landed. Um, invariably, your uncle would have probably met you off the plane. Tell us a bit about the first few weeks and months in Australia. I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, again, before you left, you hadn't quit drugs. So, tell us a bit about the first few weeks here in Australia for you? Well, in, in fact, uh, because the last few weeks in Scotland were spent partying really hard. <laughs> I was celebrating the fact I was going to Australia. So I arrive in Australia. Um, I, I actually went to another uncle's place for a little while, spent a couple of weeks with them, and then went up the hill to stay with my other uncle. Um, it was acclimatizing to being in Australia. Um, I actually found contacts where I could have got drugs within days of arriving in Australia. Wow. Hmm. Consciously, I think part of me knew this was this was an opportunity for a new start. And if I didn't embrace the opportunity, I would never know if there was something else. Well, it wasn't long after that, July the 25th in 1999. Bearing in mind, you've probably been in Australia about four to six weeks here. You said you couldn't sleep and... You did business with God. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, look, I was, I mean, it was late night. It was Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I remember it so distinctly. I was lying on the bed and nothing I could do. It was like I was wide awake, but someone or something was keeping me awake. Yeah. You know, I wanted to sleep. I was done with the day. I'd had enough. I'd had fun, whatever else. I was ready to go to sleep, but I wasn't being allowed to go to sleep. And whilst... I suppose it's one of these different, really difficult things. I knew that I was at that point because I've been around church for four or five weeks now. Um, so I've been around enough conversations and seen enough stuff. Whilst nobody had ever pressured me, I knew that what was going on was God was challenging me. And I, I really felt that I was in a position where God was saying, tonight, you have to make a decision. Wow. Mm. And I felt that at that point in time, the decision was entirely mine. Yeah. But I didn't feel I was being pressured in which direction to make a decision. All I felt was pressure that I had to make a decision that night. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I remember I got down on my knees and by this point, I'd, I'd read bits and pieces of the Bible. I'd seen bits of my life in a completely different vein through doing so. Uh, and I just prayed and asked God to forgive me. And I, it was the most surreal point in my life because at that point in time, I'm, I'm kneeling on the floor. There's nobody else around there. There's no sound. 
And I feel what can only be described as if someone had poured warm liquid light over my head. Hmm. And I felt it run literally down over my hair, down over my face, my shoulders, and down over my body. And almost like warm oil being poured over you. But there was, and whilst it felt like it had substance, there was nothing tangible there, if that makes sense. And it was the most incredible feeling I've ever experienced. And I remember it. I mean, the hair stand up on my arms, just talking about it. I remember it so distinctly that has never left me. And it was at that point of doing something as simple as praying and feeling something so completely beyond my ability to have imagined something like that, hmm. that I suppose it cemented the reality of what I kind of stepped into. As we wrap up the show for this week, Bobby, give me three or four key messages that we can leave with men. The first would definitely be no matter what the enemy or the world may make you think you are never alone. If you've fallen into, like I did, um, into taking drugs and all these types of things, it doesn't matter how much you kid yourself that you're in charge and you've got this under control. The truth is that as soon as you get into that space and it gets his fingers into you, it's got you. And you'll know that by, if you're if you can't go without it, it's got you. Go and get help. Because it's, it, it is a downward spiral and you might not be at the bottom yet, but it's only a matter of time if you don't get help. Um, and the third, I would say, is there is loads and loads of stuff out there that can help you, but none will help you more than Jesus. That's growing. That's, there's nothing more to be said after that. That's, that's a great, great way to end the show. I, I just want to add on to that. Bobby, thank you for being so open and transparent over the last couple of weeks. I almost feel like we've still got another show in us about where you've gone from that moment to where you are now, which is, you know, another 20-year journey, but we'll have to wrap it up there. But um, thank you for sharing your story, Bobby. We appreciate that. And for men listening again, um, you know, one of the key things that stands out from your story, and you mentioned this, that in a room full of people who are all getting high and doing drugs, you still felt entirely alone. And so I just want to reach out to men today, and if you're in a space where you feel alone, point you to the Momentum Care Line, 1-800-000-636. That's 1-800-000-MEN. Ring the care line if you need to. Have a conversation. Maybe it's about aloneness. Maybe it's about a drug issue. Maybe it's about something else that's happening in your life. Do not do life alone. People do care. People want to get connected to you. So open yourself up to connection. 1-800-000-MEN is the care line. Or another place, you know, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, there's there's several places, but do not do life on your own. Also, I want to encourage you to check out the website, MomentumAustralia.org. You can hear the first part of Bobby's story on there and other episodes as well. And my thanks again to Bobby and Des for an incredible couple of weeks. Really appreciate your story. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on Momentum next time. Until then, you take care. God bless. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.